We're looking at experiencing God. That's kind of our theme for the year. And I spent a couple of weeks explaining what I mean by experiencing God and trying to develop that, particularly the last couple of weeks related to time. But from here, what we're going to do is sort of have almost sermon series, but under the banner of experiencing God. And so uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Um, but, but in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about doubt. Doubt. And um, uh, I'm going to probably say some things that are going to sound contrary to things that you may have grown up thinking about doubt. Uh, For example, how many of you were taught that doubt is bad? Like doubt's the opposite of faith. If somebody questions their faith, no, you don't question your faith, you just believe. Right? It's not for you to know, it's not for you to question. Um, Some of us were told that directly. Like, no, you don't doubt. Faith is the opposite of doubt in many people's minds. And I'm going to argue that's not the case. That actually faith and doubt are together. And that actually your doubts are part of how you experience God. And I think it's a really important question because a lot of people are struggling with doubt. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you know somebody, a personal friend, or even a child or a grandchild that has left their faith because of their doubt? That don't go to church anymore, that wouldn't call themselves Christians anymore. There are a lot of people walking away from their faith right now. There's, a, there's now a lot of people that are called nuns. They've, they never were Christians. They have not even been to church. There's a growing number of people, and you know some of them, that we would call duns. Okay? They're, they're done with it. They used to do it, and now they don't. And so this, this is, next week in particular, I'm going to talk about the duns and why people are leaving the faith. But today I just want to look at this idea of doubt. And I'm going to argue that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is actually a part of faith. It's not the opposite of experiencing God. It's actually a major path to experiencing God. And that doubt is something that shouldn't be shied away from in the church. But, but when you have doubts, this is the place we should deal with them. Okay, One of the worst things you can do is go home on the internet and deal with your doubt. Okay, The, the doubt happens here. We talk about it. We're going to be open about it. We're going to have our doubts And to begin today, let's look at the patron saint of doubt, Thomas. Okay, so we're in John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus has resurrected from the dead at this point, and he showed up to everybody, but Thomas wasn't there. Okay? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Thomas, he's got a nickname called the twin. Jesus had nicknames for all his disciples. This one's called the twin. And uh, he wasn't there when Jesus showed up. And uh, you, you, you can imagine if everybody told you 
that somebody that you love, that you saw on the cross probably, that you went to their funeral, showed up last night, you might be a little doubtful too. Okay, let's, let's give Thomas a little bit of credit here. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. It's actually pretty unbelievable. He has some real reasons for doubting. And so he sets up the standard. He said, unless I can touch his hands, touch the holes of the nails, I can put my hand in his side. Like, you can't give me a fake Jesus. I don't want to see. I want to actually touch him, feel him. And in order to believe, this is my unless. Let's pay attention, though, to what Jesus did in this. First of all, I'm not sure it was accidental that Jesus showed up when Thomas wasn't there. Isn't that kind of interesting? Jesus, is the, oh, Jesus knows, and he is, shows up exactly when Thomas is out getting a coffee. I don't know what Thomas was doing. Whatever Thomas was doing, Jesus showed up right then. And then Jesus shows up how, how, how much later? Eight days. Can you imagine those eight days? All your friends are like, man, that was awesome. He's back. He's alive. He is resurrected. And for eight days, Thomas is like, no. Like Thomas just keeps going for a walk because he can't stand everybody talking about it. You know, I can just imagine. Eight days. Then Jesus shows up. And does Jesus chastise him for his doubt? Does he get mad at him for his doubt? No, before Thomas can even ask, Jesus is like, hey, come on over here. Like Jesus didn't have to be told Thomas's doubt. He's like, hey, you want to touch? Hey, put your hand in there. Okay? That's a weird thing to just offer somebody unless you knew exactly what their doubt and what their unless was. And what is the response of Thomas? My Lord and my God. There's an instant, uh, instant worship, instant uh, recognition of who Jesus is when he gets his doubt answered. Tradition says that Thomas was a missionary then. Does anybody know where Thomas went? Somebody said it. India. Thomas went to India. To this day, you can look this up, you can find St. Thomas Christians in India. To this day. In fact, Thomas is a pretty popular Indian last name. To this day. Now, like today, even back then, India was a culture of a lot of thinking people who are suspicious of outside ideas. Okay? In some ways, I think Jesus purposefully prepared Thomas to be a missionary to India through this exchange. Okay? He's known as Doubting Thomas, but does he sound like that much of a doubter to you? I think he, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. And the way Jesus treats him with such grace. And then what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, he's talking about us. Right? How much harder is it? Like, I can't touch Jesus' side. I don't get that shot. You don't get that shot. And so even Jesus is recognizing, Thomas, it was hard for you. It's going to be really hard for people that don't get to touch me. Jesus seems to acknowledge here that doubt is a strong possibility for people who believe. Doubt is a part of the Bible. Moses doubts God and himself. David is often on the run and he writes psalms that often say, like, where are you, God? Where were you on that one? 
There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Okay, when Jesus is at his ascension, he's getting taken up into the cloud. Matthew 8, 28, Matthew 28, 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Like Matthew includes that. There's all there's disciples who are with Jesus. They've been with Jesus since his resurrection. He is ascending to heaven. A bunch of people worship him, but the text says some people doubt it. We're not talking about strangers. We're not talking about people walking by being like, I don't think that's real. We're talking about disciples. We're talking about people that are close. We're talking about people that have been following Jesus. And Matthew takes the time to record for us that some doubted. See, there's a misconception out there that doubt is the opposite of faith. And I just don't think it's true. Doubt is a part of faith. Okay? I don't have to have faith that 2 plus 2 is 4. When I was a kid, we did it with oranges and apples all the time. Like, I've worked it out. 2 plus 2 is 4. There's no faith involved. I know 2 plus 2 is 4. It is only faith if there's a reason to doubt. To only, by definition, faith has to include doubt. They're like two sides of the same coin. If I know it for sure, I don't have to have any doubt. But if, I, if I'm going to have faith, well then, doubt is included in the process. Faith to be faith has to include some kind of doubt. They're not enemies. They're part of the same thing. And let's be honest, if you really take a look at our faith, there's a lot of reasons to doubt. There's a lot of things that I'm not sure I have good answers for. I'm just going to list them. We don't really talk about this at church. I think we probably should. Here's a few key things that cause people to doubt. And a lot of our culture is struggling with some of these. Okay, Paul himself calls Jesus a stumbling block, particularly his resurrection. A lot of people like Thomas, like I can, I can deal with Jesus' teachings, but the idea that he was the son of God, the idea that he rose from the dead, those are, those are hard things to believe in. How can, God, how can he be fully human and fully God? What about the rest of the Bible? Is God really as violent as he seems in certain places? What about places where the Bible seems to not always agree with itself, where the Bible seems to be in debate with itself, right? Where um, uh, Ezra says, absolutely do not marry a Moabite woman. And Ruth, which is circulating at the exact same time, says, hey, there was this great Moabite woman named Ruth. She was the grandmother of King David. King David was part Moabite. Okay, how do, how do we deal with some of these things where the Bible seems to be intentionally in discussion with each other? What about all the terrible things that have been done in the name of the Bible? Terrible treatment of others that were defended by the Bible. A low view of women, a low view of children, a mistreatment of anybody who was other. Slavery, racism, and especially anti-Semitism that was defended using the Bible. And, and what do we do with, with some of the suffering and the evil in the world? This is the one that I struggle with. If God's so good and so powerful and he knows what's going on, why are there mudslides in Peru? Why does cancer keep coming? Why does somebody keep getting these things? Why do natural disasters, why is evil allowed to even work in this world? What about some of the questions that are really coming up for a lot of people right now about pluralism? About uh, believing uh, that we are the only religion that got it right? What about other religions? 
What about questions of sexuality, gender? And a lot of these things are causing people to rethink their faith. And everybody, I'll tell you, they're pretty good questions. How many of you have had some of these questions? Yeah, I've had all of them, everybody. I have had all of them. Okay, they are questions, and I'm not sure that I'm totally satisfied with any of the answers. I mean, I think there are some, some answers to some parts of some of these questions. But I've never been totally satisfied with how we answer a lot of these questions. Everybody, that's why it takes faith. That's actually why it takes faith. And let me make two observations about the way a lot of people have doubts. First of all, most doubt is actually autobiographical. This is what I have found in talking to a lot of people who have doubts. Most of the time, people, don't, people are not as concerned with all of the evil in the world. They're actually concerned with an evil that happened to them. They're actually upset with an evil that they witnessed. Right? They're actually concerned because somebody they know made a decision and they want to be okay with that decision. And so... Almost all doubt actually is rooted in, uh, in a, your autobiography, in who you are as a person. Okay? Uh, or if you're a real logical person, I, I know for me, I want to have the answers. I want to be sure. I want to know. But do you understand? That's like me just trying to be like God. That's part of the whole problem in the Bible. That I don't get to be God and I don't get to know everything. For many people, it is, it's actually their own experience. And, and here's the other thing. A lot of people who are doubting right now and really struggling with doubt, their, their struggles are not even with the questions. They're actually with the church that has not always done a good job in talking about the questions. Some churches are flat out toxic and abusive. And if you grew up in that kind of faith, no wonder you left. You probably should leave that church. Some ways you might want to leave that expression of faith. I, I get that. Some can be very legalistic, even mean. Sometimes people aren't really trying to reject Jesus or the Bible. Sometimes they're rejecting the church that has hidden from a lot of these questions. We haven't been in a, a good in the church at handling doubt. Our first line of defense has been to shut it down. In fact, how many of you are a little uncomfortable? I just listed all that stuff. We're like, that's not what we talk about here. We talk about faith. No, but if you're not going to... If, if we're not going to talk about doubts here, everybody's going to go home on the internet and do it. And they're going to be led by people who are actually going to lead them astray, who have invested interest. They're going to talk to their atheist friends who have an interest in having them not believe anymore. And no wonder people have fallen away. No wonder people have struggled. So a lot of the concerns are autobiographical and a lot of the concerns are actually related to the church and not even the issues themselves. Let me just say, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to nuance your thinking about things. If you have a faith that's not allowed to be questioned, is it really that good of a belief? If, you can't, if, it, if it can't hold up to questioning at all, how, how is, if your God is so small that if you have doubts about him, he's like, oh no. They have that question. I've never thought of that one before. How small is your God that and, and, and what do you do with all the parts in the Bible that actually seem to encourage us to bring our complaints before the Lord? Our God is so much bigger than that. I think God is big enough to handle your doubts. In fact, sometimes it's in our doubts that God meets us 
And God teaches us. Not only is doubt natural and unavoidable component of faith, but I maintain it's actually a pathway to experiencing God. It's not, it's not opposed. Like A lot of people go through doubts and they think, oh no, I'm, I'm losing my faith. Maybe you're actually gaining your faith. Maybe God's actually teaching you and preparing you. Uh, I know that's been true for me. Here, here's a picture of this. Here's a picture of this. Um, there's been this recent phenomenon called biodomes. You know what a biodome is? People create like this dome where they can grow plants and they can do all that's, that's outside of the environment. But it's something funny that happens in biodomes is trees grow really well in biodomes for about two years. And then they fall over. They fall over. And they, they, when they started doing these biodomes, they could not figure out why do these trees keep growing so well and then falling over? And then, you know, they're not exposed to the storms. They're not exposed to anything. They just fall right over. What they found is trees, to grow strong and big, need wind. And the one thing a biodome takes away is wind. But when a tree gets pushed around by wind, you know what it has to do? Deepen its roots. Like, it's actually the wind pushing on it that forces the tree to dig its roots down deeper. Okay, this is my experience with doubt. The place, that, and I'm going to tell more of my story about doubt next week. Um, but in those times where I have really doubted and I have really questioned, like there's two responses. One is to go home on the internet and do your thing. The other is to pray more. To read your Bible and seek the answers. Okay, to, uh, to, to be in deeper community so you have other people to talk about this stuff with. And here's what I would tell you, for all my doubts, for all my doubts, I have not found a lot of satisfactory answers to a lot of these things. In fact, when some people, some people when they come and talk, not that many people come and talk to me about doubts, because in the church we were taught not to. But when people have come and talked to me about their doubts, I sometimes have to control myself from saying, oh, you think that's bad. Like, let me tell you why you should really be doubting. Right? There's a... There's actually, so, so I, haven't, I haven't come to faith, and I didn't become a pastor because I got answers to all my questions. I came to faith and stuck with my faith and became a pastor because I got more and more questions. But over time, the roots developed. And over time, I was experiencing God, and I figured out, okay, the only way to actually explain some of these experiences is to go deeper. It's, so, so for me, doubt wasn't the opposite of faith. Doubt was actually part of how, I think like Thomas, faith grew. Faith grew. The roots deepen. Doubt is our chance to deepen those roots. And remember, if, if a lot of our doubts are autobiographical, then a lot of the way God can fix the stories in our lives and can heal the wounds and the brokenness is through our doubts. Because they're a sign. They're a path to some of those wounds that we have and we wonder why Christianity is so weak in some ways right now. Why so many people are leaving it. It's because I think sometimes we avoided the doubts. We created this little biodome called a church. We didn't let anybody doubt. And then nobody built deep roots. And then when bad stuff happens, we don't have the roots to be able to deal with it. We don't have all the answers. We don't have deep enough roots to actually handle when a storm comes. Of course, there are good ways and bad ways to doubt. When it's cynical, 
It's done without people, when it's guided by people that seek to destroy faith, when it's avoided at all costs. That's, that's all bad. But there should be room in this church for your doubts, for your questions. And, and not that you can have quick answers to all those, but we come here to find Jesus and experience Jesus and to wrestle through our doubts. That's how we make deeper roots. So you don't avoid church when you have doubts. You come here. So if we sing the song, How Great Thou Art, and you're like, I don't think God's that great right now, you can just be quiet and listen to everybody else sing it and realize the whole world isn't where you are. There's strength in having community when you doubt. It's part of how you build deeper roots. So next week, I want to explore this more particularly talking about people who are what's called deconstructing. They're leaving their faith and how we as a church think about some of those things. I want to share a little bit of my story. But, but what I want you to start wrestling with is this idea that doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is part of faith. And that actually doubt is part of the pathway that you have to experiencing God in your life. So, and if you're here today and you've got doubts, you're in good company. Okay? You're not in the wrong place if you have doubts. You're in the right place if you have doubts. Let's wrestle with them. Let's be a community that, that, that wonders about those things. I'll end with this. A quote by, by Dallas Willard, who's a great Christian thinker. He said, people have been sold this idea that in order to commit to an idea, they have to be absolutely certain. You don't have to be certain about anything you're not certain about. Certainty is not something you can choose. It is po- and then this is the great line. Everybody ready? It is possible to go to heaven with a lot of doubts. People do it every day. People do it every day. So bring on your doubts. I believe God is big enough to handle them.